Welcome to River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we strive to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson takes us through Judges 6 through 8. A flat basketball is useless in a basketball game. We know this, so we fill the basketball up with air before game time. God understands our humanity and works within it to use us for His purpose and glory. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship, go to rfamarillo.org. Judges, chapter 6. We're continuing our mini-series uh, entitled God and Gideon. Uh, we're, we're gaining some insight into Gideon. We're also gaining some insight into God and the, the connection and the relationship between God and Gideon, how God deals with Gideon. We're walking through the story and just trying to draw out some truths that we can apply to our life Last week we started and we uh, discussed two foundational truths that serve as a framework for everything else we'll kind of talk about. And that first truth was that God is the God of grace and salvation. When we come to him in sincerity of heart, he always responds to us with grace. The second truth was that God encounters are essential uh, they are in essential to our life, and God encounters lead to our worship and to our peace and to our obedience and to our courage. So with that as framework, this morning I wanted to share two or three more truths, but as I kind of got into one of them, it just sort of mushroomed. So I'm just going to share one more truth with you this morning from the passage here in Gideon, and here's the third truth, and that is that God understands our humanity. God understands our humanity. When our boys were younger, um, I coached them in basketball from about five years old, six years old, all, all the way through elementary school until they started playing in middle school for the school. Well, I don't know if you've ever coached five or six-year-olds in basketball. I don't know if you've ever seen a game with five or six-year-olds in basketball, but I can assure you what they're doing on the court looks nothing like basketball. I call it amoeba ball. It almost looks more like rugby. It's like wherever the ball is, all 10 of these kids are just running around chasing the ball. The offensive guys are, have their hands out yelling, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball, trying to take it from their own guy. The other guys have their arms right, supposed to be guarding the defenders, but they're actually just kind of hugging on them. So you just have all 10 of these people just kind of going to this big amoeba. Looks nothing like basketball. Even, you know, fourth, fifth grade, they're better, but they're de developmentally, they're still not there. And when I would coach the team, you know, some of them by, by that age had played for a couple of years, but some of them, it might still be their first year. And so it was interesting. It could be very easy as their coach to become very frustrated, discouraged, angry, ride them, just get on them because they can't do what I can do as their coach or they can't do the right thing. I try to teach them what to do and they can't even dribble the ball. They never dribble the ball. They just kind of take it and run. It looks like rugby. They just run with the ball. It'd be easy just to get frustrated and just pound on them the entire time. Well, I didn't do that for one reason. I understand they're five years old. They're eight years old. They're 10 years old. Some of them have never played basketball before, so I understand their limitations. So because I understand their limitations, I'm able to be, or I was able to be very patient, very loving, very encouraging to try to teach them because I understood their limitation. Multiply that by a million and you get the picture of God with us. 
God understands our humanity. Psalm 103, 14 says, God remembers that we are dust. (laughs) He knows about our humanity. He understands that. And because of that, because he understands our limitations, he's able to work with us in patience and love and grace and tenderness, teaching us and helping us to conform to his true image. Let me say it a different way. Let me illustrate it for you and give you a visual that you can see. This is a basketball. Now, we know what basketballs are supposed to be able to do, right? Basketballs are supposed to bounce. It doesn't bounce. Basketballs are supposed to roll. It doesn't roll. Basketballs, you're able to shoot into a hoop. I'm not going to try that this morning. But this is a basketball, and we know what a basketball is supposed to be able to do. But this basketball is not able to do it. Why? Because it's flat. It's just a flat basketball. This is also a basketball. Now, this basketball is able to dribble. It'll roll. You can shoot it. These are both basketballs. What's the difference in the two basketballs? There's only one difference. One has no air, and the other one has air. So the flat basketball is not able to do what the basketball has been created and called to do, but the one filled with air is. Here's the point. You are a flat basketball. We are all flat basketballs. In our humanity, this basketball represents us in our humanity. This basketball represents us in Christ. See, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, not only are we saved for eternity, but his spirit comes and he dwells within us. He breathes his life and his spirit into us. The word spirit in the Greek New Testament is pneuma. It means breath, means wind. God just blows his breath into us and he fills us with himself. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make this morning. We are flat basketballs. God knows we are flat basketballs. God understands our humanity. That's why Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Because he understands apart from Christ, we're flat basketballs. It's only when we are allowing Christ in us to do his work in us that we're able to do what he's called us to do. So it all starts with this concept that God understands our humanity. So what I'd like to do this morning is walk through some of these passages and look at Gideon's humanity. What does that look like? And let's see how God responds to his humanity and see if we can draw some personal applications along the way. So here first we see Gideon's humanity in the context of his questioning. God has some questions for God. Gideon has questions for God. Look in chapter 6, verse 11, and just to catch you up with the setting, uh, the Israelites have sinned and they've been under the oppression of the Midianites now for seven years. And they are ravaging them and impoverishing them. So the Israelites have cried out to the Lord, please rescue us. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, 
Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of the Midianites. Here we see Gideon honestly questioning God and what's going on and what's happening. Now, Gideon's a little misguided because he said God has abandoned them. That means rejected or deserted him. So Gideon's thinking because of all this that's going on, God has just rejected the Israelites and forsaken them. He's misguided because God hasn't done that. He could have done that because they sinned, but God hasn't done that. But what we see here with Gideon is he's misguided, but it's because he's seen from the wrong perspective. His perspective has skewed his perception. And here's a good principle for us to start with. We sometimes perceive God wrongly and what he's doing wrongly because our perspective has skewed our perception. Gideon was looking at God in this situation from his own human perspective. And because of the way he was seeing it from his humanity, he got messed up and think God had deserted him. That's not what was going on along. His perspective skewed his perception. But even in that, God never ridicules him. He never condemns him. He never reprimands him. He, it's almost as if he just kind of ignores the question. <laughs> And just says, hey, just do what I'm going to ask you to do. So he's just going to kind of give him a teaching moment. But in this, as I read this passage, I hear two elements in his voice. If I read between the lines a little bit, I hear two things coming out of Gideon's heart. And the first thing is his pain. You hear pain coming out of his voice. A sincere questioning because of pain. He has been ravaged now for seven years under the oppression of the Midianites. And you can just Feel this pain. God, what is going on? Why have you forsaken us? Why have you abandoned us? Can you relate to that? Have you ever been there? Where what's going on? You're in such pain. You're in such uh, confusion. Feels like life is unraveling and you're saying, God, I'm trying to serve you and I'm trying to follow you and life's just falling apart. What's the deal? That's what's going on here with, with Gideon. But secondly, I also hear his longing. There's a longing of his heart when he says, oh God, I can remember when the forefathers, they've been telling me all these stories about God, how, how miraculous you have been and how you've brought the people out of Egypt. God, I long to hear that and to see that because he's not experiencing that. All he's experiencing is oppression and impoverishment. He's not ex experiencing the miraculous work of God and you can hear the pain of that and the longing for that. Do you identify with that this morning? Has it been a while since you've sensed the movement of God's spirit in your life and in your heart? Maybe because of life's circumstances, maybe because of some pain that's going on inside your life, but, 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 but it's been a while since you've really felt God moving and seeing him working. Maybe you can identify right here with Gideon. But the issue here is that God understands Gideon's heart. He's not reprimanding God. He's not blaming God. He's not criticizing God. He's just being very honest with some questions. God, what's going on? I don't, I don't get it. And so God receives that and he accepts that. And there's, there's two point of applications here for us. The first is God can handle our honesty. God can handle our questions. He can handle our doubts. He can handle our confusion. We don't have to fear. He's not gonna reprimand us. He can handle it. We cannot intimidate God with our stuff. 
He can handle that. But secondly, we should have this longing that we sense in Gideon's heart as well, to see God move in our heart. We should have that longing for our country that there'd be a move of God in our country. So here's the first part of the humanity that we see in Gideon, and it's this idea of his honest questioning. God understands that. So he handles it, and he just continues to work in Gideon's life. But as we go through the story, we see a second aspect of his humanity, and we see Gideon's fear. Look at verse 25. This is toward the end of the very first God encounter that he had that we talked about last week. It says, that same night... The Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. What we see here with Gideon is he's afraid. He wants to do what God's calling him to do, and he does what God's calling him to do, but he does it at night. He doesn't want anybody to see. He doesn't want anybody to know it was him, so he does it at night because of his fear. Now, why was he afraid? Well, look in verse 28. There's a good reason. In the morning when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. So the men of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Gideon was afraid because he knew what was coming. He knew what the reaction was going to be of the men of this town. So he didn't want to to deal with that. So he does this at night in fear. But the cool thing is he does what God calls him to do even in the midst of his fear. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel like God may be calling you to do something, but you're afraid to do it? There's fear associated with whatever he may be calling you to do. Have you ever experienced that? I have on multiple occasions. The most recent occasion has to do when we started praying about the formation of a new church start that now we call River Fellowship. Started happening probably a year before anything started happening as Denise and I kind of talked about it and we just kind of pray about it off and on. As it got closer, it was becoming more and more clear that God may be calling us to do this. But one of the main things that reared up in my spirit was fear. All kinds of fear, fear of failure. What if it flops? What if nobody ever comes? What if I can't have a salary? What if there's no money? What if I can't take care of our family? Fear of inadequacy. You know, is my skill set, does it serve as a church plant? My my gift mix, is it gonna work? Is my personality the right personality? Uh, What about my age? Most church plant people are young. You know, I'm not that young anymore. So all this stuff is kind of flying around in the midst of what God's trying to call me to do, this, this fear rises up. Have you ever been there? Maybe God's calling you to go share Christ with somebody. There's a work associate, there's a neighbor, there's somebody you know that God's been calling you to go share your faith with that person and that scares you to death. <laughs> or maybe you're in an office and, and God's been calling you to, to take a stand because there's some unethical things going on in, in the work environment with your boss and, and you just feel like God's calling you to be the light and the salt that needs to address that. And man, that brings terror into your spirit. 
Maybe there are other things going on in your life. It could be a hundred million thousand things. Maybe God's calling you into some leadership here. Maybe God's calling you to lead a life group or he's calling you to work with youth or some other deal. And that thinking about that just scares you. But God's calling you to do something, but it brings fear in your life. The place I came to was I wasn't sure I could ever get rid of all my fear, but I could go ahead and follow God even in the midst of my fear. And this is the truth and the principle that we see in Gideon. Because the good news about Gideon is Gideon did what God called him to do, even in the midst of his fear. What gave him the energy and the power to do that? Well, it's verse 16. It's the promise of God when God told Gideon, I will be with you. He didn't call God to do this on his own. God called him to do this knowing that God himself would be with him. Let's come back to the illustration. Remember, you're the flat basketball and you can do nothing apart from Christ. With Christ in us, we are the basketball and we're able to, to do what God has called us to do. The reason we can experience fear in our life is because we know we're flat basketballs. When we're honest with ourselves, we get it. We know we're flat basketballs. So what God says is, I understand you're a flat basketball. I understand you can't do this and I understand your fear, but what I want you to understand, Gideon, is I am going to be with you. I'm going to fill you. I'm going to empower you. And it's that realization that gives us the ability to say, okay, it's not my strength, it's God's strength because he's going to be with you. And here's the principle. God's promise outweighs our fear. That's what happened in Gideon's life. God's promise outweighed Gideon's fear. And he could trust the promise of God that he's gonna be with him. And so maybe all of his fear is not gone, but it outweighs the fear, so he's able to do what God's calling him to do. And the same thing can be true of your life. Whatever God may be calling you to do today, if you'll trust God's promise that he'll be with you in the midst of that calling, it can dispel that fear. We don't have to be 100% free of fear to do what God's calling us to do. We just let his promise outweigh it. What we see with God, he never reprimands, reprimands Gideon for his fear. He never condemns him for his fear. What does he do? He encourages him in the midst of his fear, knowing I understand you have fear because you're a flat basketball. So there's never a reprimand. It's always an encouragement because he understands our humanity. Well, we see some more humanity about Gideon. We see his doubt. Look in verse, 35, uh, verse 36. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, then look, I will place the wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so, only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Here we see some doubt creeping in Gideon's life and he needs some confirmation. And it's the fleece test that we all know about. He needs some confirmation. I can... Um, understand that as well because part of my story again with the River Fellowship is I needed confirmation. Some of you guys that 
um, were part of this journey from the very beginning and part of the core group as we were deciding would we start this. You've heard part of this story, but I want to share it with those of you that haven't heard, heard it. But as we got closer to, to deciding, okay, is, is God birthing a new start? Denise and I felt like, yeah, we really do feel like that's what God's calling us to do, but because there's still some fear and there's a little bit of doubt, I needed confirmation. And so I prayed to God, God, I need confirmation. And if we're gonna do this, give me confirmation. Here was my confirmation. I actually call it my Gideon's fleece. And here's what it was. There has to be other people in the body feeling the same calling. It has to be bigger than just Denise and I feeling something. There has to be a, a calling in the body of people feeling the same kind of calling, of other people feeling this sense of we want to be a part of something new. We feel like God is, is birthing something in our heart and our spirit too to be part of kind of a, a work on the front end. And I said, God, it has to be bigger than me for me to know that this is what you're calling me to do. Well, over the next, I don't know, six or seven weeks, we have conversations and other people have conversations with other people and it, you know, it's just all kinds of conversations and people connection and et cetera. And in about six or seven weeks, there's 30 or 35 people that have come together at that point saying, we feel like God, yes, God's calling us to be a part of something. And that was the confirmation that we needed. Now, here's the cool thing about this. God never condemned me for needing confirmation. God never condemned Gideon for needing confirmation because he understands our humanity. And so he comes alongside that and he encourages us. When Gideon threw out the fleece, God could have said, you stupid human, you don't trust me, you don't love me, you won't obey me, then let's don't do that. God never says that. He always responds in grace. And so very graciously, God says, okay, if you need confirmation, I'll give you confirmation. He always treats us with grace because he understands our humanity. Now, there's a caution here. We're not to use confirmation as an excuse or a delay tactic not to do what God's calling us to do. You know, it'd be very easy to say, God, I think you're calling me to do this, but I don't really want to do it, and I'm scared to death. I don't want to do it, so I'm going to ask for confirmation, and I'm going to ask for some ridiculous, stupid thing that's never going to happen so that it won't be confirmed and I won't have to do it. Okay, that's the wrong deal. It's all about heart. With Gideon, his heart, he wanted to do what God was calling him to do. But he's human, and there are elements in his life, so he needed confirmation. But the confirmation wasn't a delay tactic. It was just a confirmation to help me do it. So we don't use it as an excuse, but God will honor that aspect. Now, in Gideon, his humanity, we see another thing rise up in Gideon. And we see his fear rising up again. Look in chapter seven and verse eight. This is after uh, God has dwindled Gideon's army down to 300 that we'll deal with later. But um, verse eight, it says, so Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to the tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Gideon lay below him in the valley and during the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. And if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. 
Gideon arrived just as the man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Here we see Gideon still experiencing fear. Now, what's interesting is multiple times now, God has has affirmed with Gideon that you are going to be victorious. You're going to be successful. I am giving them into your hands. You're going to be able to do this. God has told Gideon that over and over, but Gideon still is experiencing fear. God knows Gideon is experiencing fear, so he says, hey, if you're still afraid, go down and listen to what the, the camp's saying. Well, we know he's afraid because he goes down to the camp. If he wasn't afraid, he'd have said, hey, God, I'm good. I don't need to go down there. Let's go. But he's still afraid. Now, it's understandable to know why he's so afraid. Because he's going against an enemy that far outnumbers him. We see later that the the, uh, Midianite army has like 135,000 soldiers. So it's 300 against 135,000. So you can understand with these odds why he is so afraid to go into battle. But God understands his humanity. So, go. so he goes down to the Midianite camp, and sure enough, he hears these guys talking, and this one guy had this dream, this big loaf of bread comes and demolishes the camp. Now, I don't know if that guy woke up that morning saying, that was the craziest dream I've ever had. Ever, ever, ever happened to you? You wake up some morning, and it's like, what was that? Some kind of crazy dream? You never know. God may be trying to speak to you. Who knows? But he hears this dream, or hears them talking about the dream, and that's what he needed to dispel his fear. And you know what he did right after that? He worshiped God. He's having these God, these God encounters. God is working with him in the midst of his humanity, not condemning him for his humanity, but working with him in the midst of this humanity. And he, he gets this reassurance. And so now he worships the Lord. And we see that great principle we talked about last week. God encounters lead to worship and to peace and obedience and to courage. The key is the God encounter. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 probably says this the best of what Gideon experienced right here, the peace he experienced. Remember what that passage says? Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry, don't fear, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about your future. Don't be anxious about that diagnosis you just received. Don't be anxious about a test you're having to take. Don't be Anxious about your finances or about this relationship or about this conversation you're going to have. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every single thing that causes anxiety and fear in your life, in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. In other words, have a God encounter. Instead of letting fear grip you, have a God encounter. Take all that to him. Then it says, the peace that passes all understanding. In other words, a kind of peace that is completely unexplainable, but very real, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
what we see here is that the God encounter dispels all of this fear in the life of Gideon. It's a great truth for us. And here's a principle. Don't let your pain, your fear, your anxiety, your doubt, your confusion, your questions push you away from God. Instead, let all of those emotions pull you closer to God. Our tendency a lot of times is when we're experiencing the kind of pain that Gideon was experiencing seven years of oppression, when we experience these kind of doubts and these kind of questions, not knowing what's going on, a lot of times we let all those human emotions push us away from God as if because of this pain and because of this fear, I'm, God doesn't want me or God's not going to receive me or I don't want to hang out with God, whatever the emotion is, but it pushes us away from God. What we have to learn is that all those emotions, when we're experiencing pain, when we're experiencing fear, when we're experiencing anxiety, that we let those actually pull us into deeper relationship and deeper God encounters. That's where God does his work in us the best. God understands our humanity. Therefore, he's willing to work with it and with us, in it, and through us to conform us and make us what he wants us to be. If we wait to be 100% free of pain, <laughs> free of fear, free of doubt, free of questions, to do what God's calling us to do, we will never do what God's calling us to do. And if you're waiting for that in your own life, you'll never do what God's calling you to step out and do. You trust him in the midst of it. Because here's the reality with this illustration one last time. We're the flat basketball. You know it, God knows it. So God says, I'm gonna call you to do what I want you to do. If you're a basketball, you're supposed to bounce. <laughs> you're supposed to roll. You're supposed to be shot through a hoop. You can't because you're flat. But if you'll trust me, if you'll give your life to me, if you'll allow me to fill you with my spirit, with my power, with my grace, with my wisdom, with all that, if you will trust me and know that I will be with you, then I will give you the ability and the empowerment to be what I'm called you to be, to do what I'm calling you to do. He understands our humanity. So he's not gonna reprimand us for it. He's gonna embrace that and use us even in the midst of our humanity. Would you bow with me? I don't know this morning if what of this might apply to you. But maybe you're in pain this morning. You feel like the Israelites have been impoverished and ravaged. Maybe you have a lot of questions. God, why are you doing this? What's going on? Where are you? Maybe you have fear. Maybe God is calling you to do something and you know, you know God's been, been working on you, <laughs> trying to get you to share with that person, whatever, whatever it is. And you've just been afraid. God knows that. And he's not mad at you for it. He loves you in the midst of it. And what he wants to say is, hey, just give it to me. And then do what I called you to do. <laughs> and I'll be with you. 
And maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. It's just that one phrase, I'm with you. In a moment, we're gonna continue to sing. We're gonna worship. We'll have some prayer partners available. If you just wanna pray with someone about whatever, that's what these prayer partners are for. You may wanna pray. You may wanna talk to God privately. You may just wanna worship and sing and lift your praise to the Lord. But just let the Spirit minister to you. And let Him work with you and through you and for you, even in the midst of your humanity. Father, we... Just pray that you would continue to speak this morning. We are so thankful and grateful that you can take us the way we are in all of our humanity, in all of our human emotion, all of our limitations, all of our faults, and do great things through us and with us. So reaffirm that in our hearts this morning as we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.